Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Dr. David here, the cutting edge doc. And I'm here with another episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with people that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And today I'm uh, reconnecting with an old friend. We're going to be speaking with Gary Renard. Gary Renard is probably best known for being the author of Disappearance of the Universe, which was a book that was published about 10, 11 years ago and was an enormously important book because it made the uh, teaching of A Course in Miracles much more accessible to, I don't know how many people, my guess would be hundreds of thousands of people who either were too intimidated to confront the course or they did part of the course and then got away from it because... Uh, Either it was too high a gradient or it was not comprehensible to them. And um, so Gary's made an enormous contribution to our world uh, just in that particular action. And of course, he's taken many other actions as well that have been very uplifting for all of us. He's gone on to write other books and he's done a lot of speaking and um we're very excited to have him here. Gary, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Well, thank you, David. Uh, it's great to be here. I remember, oh, it's been quite a while now, about uh, 10 years ago, we did an interview like this when uh, my first book had only been out for a short while. So uh, it's great to be back, and a lot has happened <laughs> since then. Yes, when I interviewed Gary, I was so inspired by, uh, by the book that... Um, I had an internet radio show at the time. There was no such thing as podcasting. And uh, we did an in-depth interview back then, and it was really delightful. And I knew that, um, you know, one of my gifts seems to be, I seem to have a gift of discernment. And I just knew that Gary's book was going to make a major contribution and uh, that his life was going to change very dramatically. And for sure, it has. He's, since I spoke with Gary last, he's moved to Los Angeles and he met and married his soulmate, Cindy. And uh, those of you who have read Gary's books know that uh, there's a lot to that story. And uh, so much has happened in our world in the last 10 years um, that I wanted to catch up with Gary and... Uh, see where he is in his life now and maybe take a look back and then also take a look forward. So um, one thing I probably should say in terms of opening remarks, in terms of the impact that Gary has had on my life, is that I was first exposed to A Course in Miracles back in the summer of 1978 when I was at an intensive six-week um, training program in Vermont, and I met Sandra Ray, who was a spiritual teacher and very influenced by A Course in Miracles and also um, uh, a, a guru in uh, in India named Harakan Baba, 
And uh, she integrated A Course in Miracles teaching into a training she was doing called Loving Relationships Training, which I thought was excellent. And so I started doing A Course in Miracles back in 1978-79, and I made it about two-thirds of the way through, and then I stopped. And the reason I stopped was because there was so much anger that was coming up for me that the course really didn't give me enough guidance about how to process it and how to be with it. So even though I knew the course was true in an absolute sense, um, at the time I didn't have the training about how to be with my emotions that uh, allowed me to really continue. So I let it go and just thought maybe, you know, it wasn't going to be an important part of my path. And then I read Disappearance of the Universe, and that moved me to go back to it. And in that interim period of, of you know, whatever that was, 25 years, I had developed a greater capacity about how to feel emotions in a way that allowed them to, or that worked for me. And I was able to really um, have a, a, such a firm grounding in the distinctions of the course that that also helped me to be with it. And I went back to where I left off in the course like 25 years before whatever and ended up finishing it. So um, I'm always very grateful to Gary for that. And uh, I still to this day, I have mixed feelings about the course in terms of a spiritual path for many people, even though I know that it does speak truth because uh, of the kinds of things that I ran into. And I, I know that many people who do the course end up doing it uh, kind of as part of a tapestry of their growth and development that does involve other areas. And uh, I just wanted to say that in the beginning and just open that up and see if uh, Gary was moved to uh, kind of build on what I was saying there, if there's anything he wants to Gary, if there's anything you want to say based on what I said. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, first of all, I think I should say that uh, certainly the subject matter of the books is A Course in Miracles. And uh, the books are, you know, recognizing the fact that A Course in Miracles is not for everybody. Uh, I think that it's for, you know, people who have been around the block a couple of times and have experienced a lot of other things first and realized that uh, when they get to the course and see what it's saying, they recognize the truth in the course. Now, uh, some people will do it the way that you've described, where they'll do it along with a lot of other things. And uh, there's not a very large group of people, including me, who once they are exposed to the course, can't do anything else because uh, they recognize that the course just kind of like blows everything away. And uh, it's a lifelong spiritual path if it's for you. And if it's for you, you know it and you recognize that and you stick with it. Uh, my teachers uh, are doing a fourth book with me right now. And uh, they're saying that the reason that they keep doing these books is to keep people focused, you know, especially on the forgiveness process, which is uh, the essential teaching of A Course in Miracles. It's about a certain kind of forgiveness that is uh, coming from a place of cause and not effect. And by doing that, you can literally save yourself uh, countless dream lifetimes in your overall experience. Uh, I think that uh, it's very important to recognize that while uh, A Course in Miracles does not claim to be the only way, it's not like that. Uh, 
you know, it doesn't claim to be uh, the only way that you can get home to God. But I do think it's fair to say that it claims to be a fast way. Uh, it speaks several times about uh, how the miracle, which is this certain kind of forgiveness that I'm talking about, uh, talks about how the miracle uh, can substitute for learning that may have taken thousands of years. So obviously it's talking about saving countless uh, dream lifetimes in your overall experience. And uh, it says the chief aim of the miracle worker is to save time. So I, I think that that's the essential part of the course. It really speaks to me and makes me realize that every time that I do this, and I've been doing the course, oh, I say for about 23 years. And uh, every single time I do it, I have faith that there is some kind of a healing that is going on, even though I may not be able to see it, because most of the mind is hidden from us. It's unconscious. But if you do your part of the job, which is simply that forgiveness, which, by the way, is uh, your only responsibility, according to the Course. Uh, the Course the course says that the uh, sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. And it also says uh, the means of the atonement is forgiveness. So in order to get to the end, you're going to want to utilize the means. But I certainly had no idea about that when all of this started to happen. And uh, when the first book came out 12 years ago, I was totally unprepared uh, for what was coming. Uh, to me, it was a miracle that the book even got published. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't know if anybody would ever read it. Uh, when I was working on it, you know, that whole uh, 10 years from like uh, early 93 to early 2003, uh, I didn't know if anybody would ever read it. Uh, I did it because I wanted to. I did it because uh, I felt inspired by my teachers. They told me that there was going to be a book and you know, I, I had no uh, aspirations or desire to write a book. Uh, I was a musician and my big dream at the time you know, for success would have been to write a hit song. <laughs> you know, If I could write a song, then that would have been plenty for me. That would have been good enough for me. And here I am writing a book with these guys. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, everything from beginning right up till now has been a totally new experience for me. Uh, I just got back from teaching in China on the mainland. And if you told me uh, 15 years ago that that would happen, I would have thought, well, you're kidding. <laughs> you know, you got to be kidding me. So uh, this whole thing has been a total surprise to me. It's been a pleasant surprise. Uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, it's been uh, an unpleasant surprise because I never expected that in the spiritual community you would have so many haters out there, that you would have so many uh, attack-minded, uh, unpleasant, uh, not very nice people that you would be hearing from all the time. <laughs> so uh, I didn't expect that part of it, but then uh, at least I know what it's for. You know, if I didn't have uh, Course in Miracles, I think my life uh, would have been kind of sad. But uh, because I have it, I know what everything's for. Uh, the forgiveness of the Course gives you a life of purpose. And once you know what everything's for, then you can handle it. And you can actually be peaceful in your life, regardless of what appears to be happening. And uh, that's real power. You know, for many people in the spiritual community, their happiness is still dependent on what happens. You know, they think it's essential. Well, you know, I got to manifest 
what I want, you know, as if that's going to make them happy. You know, all the evidence in history uh, shows you that when people get what they want, they're still not happy because it's not everything. And the only thing that will ever satisfy them is the experience of perfect oneness with their creator, which is why A Course in Miracles says that a sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need correct. You know, if you could uh, correct that one lack, then all the rest would disappear because you would never feel lack. No matter what was going on, you would always feel like you were taken care of and provided for and being guided uh, through the dream, if you will. And uh, I think that that's what's important for people to realize that, uh, yeah, they can maybe get what they want. But if they do, well, then two days later, it's going to be something else. And the idea of real spirituality, and, and this is how I distinguish between real spirituality and, uh, you know, kind of like the self-help movement, is that with real spirituality, you can be happy and peaceful regardless of what happens. Where the self-help movement is focused on making things happen in a world that isn't there, in a dream, in an illusion, thinking that somehow illusions are going to satisfy you where the spirituality of A Course in Miracles is about going home to your source, which will satisfy you. And uh, it's two different things. And I think that people confuse the two. Uh, I think that uh, the media and a lot of, uh, you know, the uh, pop culture that has come into the spiritual movement kind of like shifts the focus away from the real deal and puts it on the temporary. But real spirituality is about something permanent. Uh, it's about attaining uh, something that doesn't shift or change, uh, which is what happens in the dream. The dream has nothing but change, where reality is a constant. Uh, reality is something that doesn't shift or change, which is why you can depend on it, where the dream is always shifting and changing, which is why you can't depend on it. So I think uh, at some point, and I think this takes a lot of uh, spiritual maturity, you have to realize that what will satisfy you is something that is possible to achieve, uh, not necessarily easy. I wouldn't say that A Course in Miracles is the easiest spiritual path uh, in the world, but if it's for you, you know it, and it is doable. You know, I don't think the Holy Spirit would give us a job to do that wasn't doable, but I do think that it takes uh, a lot of determination and uh, perseverance, but it's well worth it. Now, I was talking about uh, you know, the beginnings, well, you know, the, the book, uh, the first book, The Disappearance of the Universe, was published by a small publisher, uh, Fearless Books, in 2003, and about a year and a half later, Hay House wanted to take over, which was fine with my publisher, because the book had become a full-time job for him, and I think he was kind of uh, happy to get out of it, so, uh, you know, we uh, went to Hay House, and the book started to spread around the world. And uh, my teachers told me they would be doing a, a, another book with me. And, and you know, I, I didn't have the time once I started traveling everywhere. So I just did the best that I could. And uh, they emphasize in the fourth book, which I'm doing with them now, is that the reason that we have a new book every few years is to help keep people focused, you know, help keep them focused on the forgiveness process, doing it, taking it to a deeper level, uh, having them uh, make it more... Uh, an automatic response to the world. You know, at one point, uh, Course in Miracles says miracles are habits. 
and should be involuntary. Well, I think that what happens with the forgiveness of the course is that eventually it becomes a part of you. And uh, if you don't do it, you'd miss it. So if, if you get to the point where you miss something, if you don't do it, then you know that it's become a part of you and you do it every day. And if you want to be good at anything, you have to do it every day. I mean, uh, yeah, I remember I, I met Stephen King once when I was back in Maine, uh, the writer, and, and I asked him, uh, you know, the typical question that anybody would ask him, because I, I said, I'm writing a book, which I'm sure he'd never heard that before. And uh, it was like, uh, you know, can you give me any advice? And he said, yeah, uh, if you're a writer, you write every day. And uh, I guess I'm not a writer. <laughs> Because even though I wish that maybe I followed that advice, I never did. And I can't say that I even like to write. But I can say that there have been other things in my life that I've done, including uh, being a musician, uh, being a stock market trader, uh, being a practitioner of A Course in Miracles, uh, someone who really is, is dedicated to doing forgiveness every day. Uh, I recognize that forgiveness is an art. And uh, if you're going to be really good at anything, then you do it every day. It's like if you wanted to be a great piano player and somebody told you, look, if you want to be a great piano player, then you're going to have to sit down at the piano every day and you're going to have to practice every day. And if you sit there for five years, <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about 24 hours a day, but, you know, say two hours a day. And uh, if you do it every day for five years, well, guess what? If you have any talent and if you really want it bad enough, then you're going to be good. And uh, maybe after 10 years, you're really good. And maybe after uh, 20 years, you'll be great. You know, maybe after you practice forgiveness for 20 years, you'll be getting up into the area where you're getting to be as good as Jesus. And uh, that takes practice. Do we really believe that we are going to attain uh, the same level of mastery as people like Buddha and Jesus without practicing. And yet, uh, lo and behold, there are plenty of people out there who think that all they have to do is say that they're enlightened and that makes it true. And uh, unfortunately, that's not true because as The Course in Miracles explains, and, and I, I see very much else that explains this, it explains that salvation is undoing. And the reason that salvation is undoing is because in order to get to the real you, you know, your true nature, your true self, what you have to do is undo the ego. And the ego is, of course, the thought of separation, according to the Course. This idea that somehow we've separated ourselves from each other and from God and have taken on this individual existence, this personal identity that we've come to believe is us. You know, it's kind of like a personal psyche, a personal mind, a personal soul, a personal individual uh, being that is somehow separate from everything. And uh, the Course teaches very clearly that this is not the real you, it's the false you. It has no substance. Uh, the real you is something that is perfect oneness, perfect oneness with your source, which is God. And by the way, I think that you have to acknowledge God at some point. You know, it's like uh, a lot of people, uh, they don't talk about God in spirituality nowadays. Uh, they certainly don't want to talk about Jesus. And uh, it's like, how are you going to undo the separation from God without acknowledging God? You know, it's not possible. So I think at some point you have to realize 
that uh, you know God is the source and God is reality. And what we have made that we think is so cool is actually nothing. And it takes a certain amount of uh, humility, I think, to admit that and to say, okay, so I'm going to go for the real thing. You know, I'm going to go for uh, that perfect oneness of God, that experience of perfect oneness, the way that, uh, you know, the Course describes heaven. It describes it as the awareness of perfect oneness and the knowledge that there is nothing else. You know, nothing else outside this oneness, nothing else within. And then we have this false experience going on that is not perfect oneness and the way to escape from that experience and kind of like graduate, if you will, to the experience of perfect oneness is by undoing the false you, which is the ego. Now, uh, that's a brilliant approach because if you could really do that, you know, if you could uh, undo the false you, which is based on separation, then eventually the real you would be all that's left. And that's perfect because the real you is perfect. Uh, you don't have to do anything about the real you. You don't have to fix the real you. Uh, the real you is already perfect. The real you is exactly the same as your source, which is God. And uh, that may sound arrogant to some people, I know, because uh, they tell me about it. But what they don't understand is that it's not arrogant to think that you are the same as God. Uh, what is arrogant is to think that you could be separate from God. Uh, that is the arrogance of the ego, which uh, you know is afraid of losing the little that it, it has. And so uh, it's very fearful of these ideas, which is why you find a lot of uh, unconscious resistance to doing A Course of Miracles, which is why there's such resistance to seeing what it's saying, even though at, at the end it's actually pretty simple, but it's not easy. You know, you'll hear people say that the course is simple. The course itself says that it's simple. And it doesn't just use the word simple once. It uses the word simple, I believe, 158 times. And the reason that it says that is because it's saying, look, you may think that there are millions of things to choose between and billions of people out there and trillions of objects, but that's all just separation, which is not true. And the truth is uh, there's only two things to choose between and only one of them is real. So that's why the course is simple. There's uh, the truth, the perfect oneness of God, which is reality. And then there's everything else. And none of it is true, period. Now, that's why uh, Course in Miracles is relentlessly uncompromising uh, throughout you know, the, the whole course. And it's uh, brilliant at saying the same thing over and over again. You know, it's been uh, jokingly said, and this is partly true, not completely true, but partly true. Uh, it's been said that, you know, the text of the course is six pages repeated a hundred different ways. And, uh, you know, it's not entirely true, but a lot of it certainly is repeated over and over again. But uh, it never ceases to amaze me how the Course finds so many beautiful and intricate and amazing ways to say the same thing over and over again. Uh, it's actually like a miracle in itself. And the reason for that is, of course, because if salvation is undoing, then you kind of like have to undo the ego one piece at a time. And that's done through forgiveness. So uh, we kind of like have to be uh, you know, given this lesson over and over again 
to have it really sink in, to continue to undo the ego. But if you do that, then your experience eventually is going to start to change. Uh, maybe your experience will be that your body starts to get lighter. Uh, maybe it will start to feel more like the figure in a dream that it actually is, instead of this thing that you have to carry around. Uh, maybe it will become more flexible and elastic. Uh, maybe it will be more difficult to hurt it because uh, your identity is even being changed from the idea of being a body to not being a body. Uh, so the Course will tell us many times, uh, I am not a body, I'm free, for I am still as God created me. And uh, those simple three lines say a great deal because they're saying, if you're still as God created you, you're still with God, you're still in heaven, uh, you've never left. You know, as the Course itself says, you are at home in God, dreaming of exile, but perfectly capable of awakening to reality. So, uh, the Course is very seriously, clearly saying that this is not reality, that this is a dream that we will awaken from. And in fact, it's that awakening that is enlightenment. You know, it's what uh, Buddha was talking about when he said, I am awake. But he didn't mean that he was more awake, you know, in the dream. Uh, he meant that he had awakened from the dream. And that's not just a minor distinction. He meant that he had awakened from the entire dream of time and space in the universe and realized that he was not the dream. And he was not in the dream. He was the dreamer. Uh, he was the author of the dream. And uh, certainly the way that the Course further defines that is that what we are seeing here is a projection. Uh, you know, the Native Americans used to say, behold the great mystery. Well, you know, Course of Miracles says, behold the great projection, <laughs> because that's all that it is. You know, we're so impressed by this uh, universe of time and space, and it seems so uh, amazing and big to us. And all it is is just one great big projection. And with our belief, we have put ourselves under it like a spell. And uh, we don't realize the power of belief, but it's possible to take that belief back, to take that power back and put it where it belongs, which is with God. So uh, when we do the kind of forgiveness that the Course is talking about, we're actually kind of like shifting our allegiance. Uh, it's, it's like uh, we're taking back our faith that we put in a false world. And we're putting that faith in a real world that is unseen by the body's eyes, yet more real. And uh, all these things are said specifically in the Course. I know that some people think that the Course is vague and uh, that it's not easy to understand and that uh, it's not very clear. But I beg to differ with them. I think the Course is very clear about uh, what it says, and I think it's unmistakable about what it says. And I think that what prevents people from seeing it is this unconscious resistance that I've been talking about. And I think that uh, the reason for the disappearance of the universe uh, was that my teachers wanted to help clarify the course for people, uh, especially people who are not scholars like me. You know, I, I never went to college. I'm not an educated person. And uh, what disappearance did for me, and, and I had about you know 10 years to learn this and integrate it uh, into my life before I ever you know really spoke about it or anything. And uh, what it did for me was clarify the whole thing, because when I first picked up my first copy of The Course in Miracles, I remember it was uh, 
know, the very beginning, 1993. And uh, I picked it up and I started reading it. It was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I mean, you know, it made no sense whatsoever to me. And the reason for that is because the course is a holographic uh, presentation. It doesn't spell things out for you in a linear fashion. It starts off with its most uh, advanced principles. The very first miracle principle is that there is no order of difficulty in miracles. You know, one is not harder or bigger than another. They're all the same. Well, I don't know how anybody could pick that up and read that and have any idea what that means. It wouldn't be possible. And then, you know, hopefully through repetition, through that repetition that I was talking about earlier, uh, the course will start to sink in on you and uh, you know, you'll start to get it. But I have to admit that that doesn't happen with most people. And in many cases, uh, A Course in Miracles was ending up on people's bookcases and uh, not being read by them, or if it was, and if they were enthusiastic enough to get out there to a study group, uh, they probably got a lot of wrong information about the course because people think that the course is subject to interpretation. And the truth is, uh, Course Miracles is not subject to interpretation. The course says, you know, would God have left uh, the interpretation of the world up to you? And the answer is no. Uh, it says resign now as your own teacher. You were poorly taught. You know, it's, it's telling people that what got them into trouble in the first place was listening to themselves. And that there's a higher power, the Holy Spirit, that takes on a form in this world that can teach them. And so uh, that's also a major part of the Course of Miracles is getting in touch with the Holy Spirit. But the best way to get yourself in touch with the Holy Spirit is to undo the ego because the ego is acting as interference to hearing the Holy Spirit. And the more you undo the ego, the more spirit you have in your mind and the more access you have to it. So the Course is a holographic presentation, doesn't go in order, which makes it uh, difficult. And what my teachers did, Art and Persa, uh, in all of the books, is that they gave me a linear presentation. Uh, they took the course and they spelled it out to me uh, one step at a time. They used uh, many quotations and still use many quotations from A Course in Miracles because they want people to see that what they're saying is the same thing as what the Course is actually saying. Uh, they ended up using like uh, 365 uh, quotations from the Course in the first book. I didn't know that it would come out <laughs> to 365, but it did. And of course they knew that. And uh, to me, by the way, they are the Holy Spirit. They're simply uh, taking on a form in order to communicate. Uh, what the Course says about the Holy Spirit is that His is the voice for God and has therefore taken form. Uh, this form is not his reality. So the Holy Spirit's reality is and always will be spirit, exactly the same as God. Uh, the only difference is, is that the Holy Spirit has to take on a form in order to communicate with us, or else we'd never be able to hear it. And that form can take on many different forms. It could be uh, simply a thought that comes into your mind, which is, in fact, the most uh, common way for the Holy Spirit to communicate with us. Uh, once in a great while, not too often, it will actually be an audible voice that you hear. Uh, and that's not all it's cracked up to be because who wants to go around hearing voices all the time? You know, so it, I think the Holy Spirit knows what people are ready for and will put thoughts into your mind that 
may eventually feel to you like they're not your thoughts, like they come to you. And uh, these thoughts, by the way, can be very practical. The Holy Spirit will help you even, uh, you know, to be successful. But that success is based on a true abundance, which is uh, willing to follow rather than to lead. You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, most people think of Jesus as being the ultimate leader. But that's not really true. He was actually the ultimate follower. You know, he says uh, in the course, eventually, I just listened to one voice. And he means he just listened to the Holy Spirit eventually, and that the ego uh, was undone and disappeared in him. And uh, I'm not saying that that's an easy task. It's, it's a pretty formidable challenge, but uh, it is possible. And it's possible to be guided by the Holy Spirit through your life. And that guidance can be very practical. It's like, uh, what should I do? The same questions that everybody has. Should I uh, move? Should I stay with this career or not? Uh, should I stay with this person? Uh, what should the decision be? Well, you can be guided by the Holy Spirit to what is best for everybody. Uh, not necessarily just you. The Holy Spirit, being able to see everything, will guide you to what is best for everybody, which may not necessarily fit your pictures of what you want. But if you follow the Holy Spirit, you will be led to good things. You will be led to what is best for everybody. And uh, a caveat there, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go good in your life. Uh, you know, you'll get Jesus at the end of his life. Things weren't exactly going good. But the point is, it didn't matter because at the end of his life, Jesus could not feel any physical pain. Uh, as the Course teaches, the guiltless mind cannot suffer. And what that means is uh, that pain is a function of guilt. You know, as my uh, teacher, Persa, said, uh, pain is not a physical process. It's a mental process. And whatever pain you feel is actually in your mind. It may look like it's in your body, but the body itself is just a projection. And uh, it's actually in the mind, which is good news, because now you have a chance. Now you can change your mind about it. Now you can start to... Uh, get to the point where instead of the body uh, telling you what to feel, you can tell the body what to feel, which is uh, an essential part of the course because the ego's number one game plan to keep itself going, because there's something we don't know about the ego, uh, the ego likes this idea of separation. You know, the ego wants to keep it going. It feels important. It feels special uh, to be an individual and to have goals and accomplishments and relationships and possessions and everything that goes with it. So the ego wants to keep this going. And the ego's uh, number one game plan will be somehow to convince you that you are a body. In fact, uh, that's practically the Course's definition of temptation. If you get to that last section of uh, the text called Choose Once Again, it starts off by saying temptation has one lesson it would teach in all its forms, wherever it occurs. It would persuade the Holy Son of God. He is a body, you know, born in what must die, unable to escape its frailty and bound by what it orders him to feel. You know, so now the whole idea of temptation is really uh, covered in the sense that whatever it is, it's designed to convince you that that's you that you are that body, that you are that individual. And the truth is, that's not you. And the real you is something that is immortal. Uh, it's invulnerable. It's something that can't be threatened by anything in this world. 
uh, something that can't be touched by anything in this world. When the Course begins by saying nothing real can be threatened, well, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the real you, uh, the real you that uh, you know, can't be even attacked because you are in perfect oneness, not in a condition of separation. And nothing unreal exists, which is that's fine in the Course. Well, that would go for everything else. You know, there's the real you, and then there's everything else. And none of it is true. And uh, ultimately, my course uh, teachers said in Disappearance that the ultimate truth is that God is. And they pointed out that, now, that's not too hard for people to accept that God is. What is hard for them to accept is that nothing else is. You know, and that's uh, the difficulty of the course. Because it's saying that uh, nothing here has any substance to it. That it's just an idle dream. And what gives it power over us is our belief in the fact that we make it real. And as long as you make it real, you can't forgive it. Because true forgiveness is saying that what we're seeing is not true. And uh, we're not forgiving people because they really did something. We're forgiving people because they haven't really done anything. Because we're the ones who made them up in the first place. So it's definitely a, a different kind of forgiveness. But what my teachers did in the first book was with this uh, linear uh, presentation, I noticed after oh, nine or 10 visits from them, and they came a total of uh, 17 times in the first book, I noticed after nine or 10 visits, I could go back, pick up A Course in Miracles, and it was actually making sense to me. And I thought, wow, you know, if you can do that for me, you can do that for anybody. And then I started to get a little excited. Uh, the prospects for the book and what it would do for people. Uh, I didn't know how many people, but I, I thought it would help people. And really, that's all that uh, the Holy Spirit wants you to do. There's <laughs> a great quote from the Course, I am here only to be truly helpful. And uh, looking back on the history of the Disappearance of the Universe, I can see that it has been truly helpful uh, to people. And, uh, you know, the second book, Your Immortal Reality, kind of like continued the process. Uh, my most recent book, Love Has Forgotten No One, uh, really uh, completes the trilogy in the sense that uh, Arden Persa connected these different time periods, you know, like 2,000 years ago through St. Thomas and St. Thaddeus today. Uh, in this lifetime, there's myself and Cindy. And 100 years from now, there's that lifetime with Arden Persa. And uh, it kind of like shows how what the Course is saying is true when it says uh, trials are but lessons presented once again, so that where you made a faulty choice before, now you can make a better one and thus escape all the pain that your previous decision has brought to you. Well, that's not just true uh, over the course of one lifetime. It's true uh, from lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. And by the way, when I say that, I'm talking about serial dreams. I'm not saying that you ever actually incarnate. In fact, you don't. Uh, the whole idea of being in a body is a trick. You know, it's a sleight of hand. Uh, you're not actually in a body. Uh, you never have been, and you never will be. Uh, it's just a, like the Course calls it, a vast illusion. And so our experience is that we're inside of this body when we're really not. Uh, what we're seeing with is the mind. You know, what the Course says is that you are reviewing mentally that which has already gone by. And this body is a part of the same projection as everything else. So if you look across the room and you see a chair across the room, 
well, that body that you thought you were in is no more real or personal than the chair because they are both simply a part of the same projection and they're equally untrue. So uh, ultimately, it's possible to get to the point where the body is meaningless to you. Uh, at one point, the Course says the body is outside of us and not our concern. And, uh, you know, Jesus in this section on the crucifixion talks about how, uh, you know, if he got angry at the fact that they were crucifying him, then he would be equating himself with the destructible and would therefore be regarding himself insanely. So right there, you get quite an idea of how meaningless the body has become at that point uh, to Jesus in his reality. And because there was no guilt in his mind, he could not feel any physical pain, which makes that whole idea of uh, him suffering and sacrificing himself you know, for our sins kind of silly. Uh, because that's not what he was doing at all. He was demonstrating that what he really was could not be killed and it could not be hurt. And he's not saying that we have to repeat that lesson because he's already taught it. But he is saying that what we are asked to do is to follow his example uh, in the face of much less extreme temptations to misperceive and not to accept them as false justifications for anger. So he's just saying, look, I did the crucifixion thing. Now, you know, what I'm asking you to do is to accept your sole responsibility and forgive whatever comes up in front of your face. And usually it's going to be the little everyday things. You know, we don't get what we want. That's an ego specialty. Everybody wants to get what they want. It's very important. You know, so of course it's important that I get what I want and that I be successful, that people look up to me and that I'm respected. But that's all ego. And uh, what the Course is saying, well, actually, you know, it's not important <laughs> because this is just a dream and it's a game that doesn't count. You know, the only thing that counts in this game is whether or not you practice forgiveness, because that's the only thing that's going to accelerate your journey home, which is what you really want if you're smart. Now, you can't decide uh, for somebody else that it's their time to go home. You know, uh, the prodigal son in Jesus' story had to make up his mind to go home. You know, he, he recognized, okay, I made a mistake. I left. And by the way, we weren't kicked out of heaven. You know, it was our decision to leave. And it turned out to be kind of a bonehead move. Because in heaven, there's no such thing as scarcity. But in this world, because it's a world of duality, you may appear to have abundance, but you also have an equal amount of scarcity and deprivation. And the Course says that as long as you believe that you are a body, you will believe that you are deprived. But if you realize that you're all of it and not just part of it, well, then you have everything, which is the only thing that will ever satisfy you anyway. So uh, why not cut to the chase? But that's a personal decision. Nobody can make that decision uh, for somebody else. Nobody can tell somebody, well, you know, you should be doing A Course in Miracles. I mean, you know, when I'm here in uh, California and I go to a party or something, I don't start talking about A Course in Miracles to everybody. You know, I mean, I'll talk about whatever anybody is talking about, you know, sports or the movies or or politics, God help us, or, or anything. Uh, and I definitely know that politics are for forgiveness. But it's like, uh, you know, I tell people, look, don't forget how to be normal. You know, your job doing the course is to practice forgiveness. You don't have to save the world. You know, that's not your responsibility. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Uh, let the Holy Spirit take care of the big job. 
your job, very specifically, according to the course, is to accept the atonement for yourself. And the means of the atonement is forgiveness, which means that your job and your only job is to practice forgiveness on whatever's happening, whatever appears to be happening. And if you do that, you're doing your job. And there will be real healing. And uh, you will be accelerating your process home. And after a while, your experience is going to start to change. You're going to be more peaceful, which is an essential ingredient to enlightenment, because as the Course teaches, you know, peace is the condition of the kingdom. And uh, in order to fit into the kingdom, you have to be at peace. You know, the mind has to be at peace, literally, uh, in order to go home. And uh, that's not a bad deal, because as the Course teaches, a tranquil mind is not a little gift. It's a huge gift. And the mind is a lot bigger and a lot more important than we realize because we've been kind of like tricked into paying attention to this very small part of the mind that is conscious to us. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, most of the mind is hidden. Uh, it's unconscious. We can't see it. But the Holy Spirit will heal it for us if we do our part, because as we do our part, which is forgiveness, the Holy Spirit is always doing some kind of a healing. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'll be able to see it. Sometimes you won't be able to see it, but every single time there is some kind of a healing, which is why the Course teaches that a miracle is never lost, that it can have undreamed of effects in situations of which you are not even aware. So every time you do this, there's something happening. That healing could be taking place at the subatomic level, or it could be taking place in somebody else's body, or that healing could be taking place in your body. Uh, you could be healed of a disease that you didn't even know that you had. You know, there's always something big going on. The Holy Spirit is taking your forgiveness and shining it you know, all through the universe of time and space, uh, all through any uh, parallel universes that there are. Uh, every dimension of time, the Course says, right in those first 50 miracles principles, that the miracle works on all the dimensions of time. So we know right away that this isn't the only dimension of time that's going on right now. But we don't have to worry about that. You know, all we have to do is take care of what's right in front of our face, and we're doing our job. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest, because the Holy Spirit can see everything that ever happened. Uh, it's all connected. Uh, the Course talks about an interlocking chain of forgiveness. And my forgiveness is connected to your forgiveness. And your forgiveness is connected to everybody else's forgiveness. And uh, the Course teaches in Workbook Lesson number 169 that the Holy Spirit looked back from the end of time and saw everything that time held and put it all together, put together a plan that would eventually result in the full awakening of the sonship, which is you know, a metaphor that the Course uses to describe the seemingly separated sons of God which is really one, but uh, which has to kind of like get to that place in its experience. You know, it's kind of like through forgiveness, we're putting Humpty Dumpty back together again and, you know, taking all the pieces and putting them back together again as one, which is what they really are. So uh, if you do it, well, you're doing a lot because you're making a real contribution to the healing of the mind. Uh, and that's a worthy, you know, life's work right there. I mean, they may not put you in the history books, but, uh, you know, most of the people in the history books were war makers, and we are peacemakers, and that doesn't make headlines, but uh, it's definitely a worthy thing to do, and it's a worthy purpose of life, 
uh, the Course teaches that forgiveness gives you life a purpose. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't know what anything was for, uh, you know, 20 years ago. So uh, I remember back when I was in my 20s, before I got on a spiritual path, I hated the world, I hated God, I hated people. You know, I hated everything. I was depressed. I was miserable. And, uh, you know, to go from that place to a place today where I can honestly say that I love the God uh, and to do that in just half a lifetime, uh, that's pretty good. And it's a good deal because not only does your experience start to change for the better, and it is a better experience of life. Because it really is more fun to be spirit than it is to be a body. And it really is more fun to be a butterfly than it is to be a caterpillar. But in order to get to the uh, experience of a higher life form, you have to go through, you know, kind of like a cocoon process. You have to go through a uh, metamorphosis. And what accomplishes that metamorphosis for us, that graduating to a higher life form, which is spirit, instead of being a body, that is brought about and facilitated by the act of forgiveness that is repeated uh, over and over again if something comes up that needs to be forgiven. Now, not everything needs to be forgiven. I tell people, look, uh, and this was a point of confusion, especially in China, because uh, they're used to the idea of uh, non-dualism to a certain degree. There's a lot of Buddhists that come to our workshops there. And uh, you know they understand the principles of the course better than most people because of that. Uh, there is a lot of similarity between uh, Buddhism and the Course in Miracles, and then there's this whole grand, uh, beautiful way that God is represented uh, in the course that it is not represented by uh, in Buddhism. So uh, it definitely has that whole dimension to it. And uh, they thought that you had to forgive everything, you know, even the good stuff. And uh, what I tell them is, look, uh, you'll notice that the focus of the Course in Miracles is not on forgiving the good stuff. It doesn't talk about, you know, forgiving the uh, romantic walks on the beach and the beautiful sunsets, you know, and all that. Uh, the real focus of the Course is on forgiving the negative emotions, the ego, uh, the, the fact that anger is never justified is a very big deal in the Course. And the reason that anger is never justified is because you're the one who did it. You know, the Course says the secret of salvation is but this, that you are doing this to yourself and that this is always true. So now you can forgive the world, not because it's real. Uh, the Course says, you know, forgiveness, true forgiveness does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in that view, are all your sins forgiven? And uh, I may point out that only in that view are all your sins forgiven because of the way that the mind works, which is a whole other discussion. But there's a very important law of the mind that is articulated in the Course. The Course says, as you see him, you will see yourself. And that is because your unconscious mind, which knows everything, knows that there's really only one of us. And it will interpret anything that you think or say about another person to actually be about you. And that's a pretty sobering thought because you, know, you look at the garbage that people have been thinking their whole lives about the world and about other people and they didn't know that it was really just going to them and that it would determine how they felt about themselves and even ultimately what they believe they are. You know, so uh, if I'm watching TV and, uh, you know, this politician comes on the TV screen who I can't stand and I think to myself, oh, what a jerk. Well, I just called myself a jerk. 
because that's the way that the mind works. And it gets worse because three or four days from now, I will feel like a jerk. And I will think that I'm a body because I'm making that person in the world out to be real. And true forgiveness does the opposite. Uh, true forgiveness does not make it real. Uh, the Course says if you make it real, if you're reacting to it like you believe in it, uh, it says, well, you have made it real, and so you cannot forgive it. And true forgiveness is based upon the metaphysics of the Course, which is saying that what we're seeing is not true, that it's a projection, that we made it up. That's why it does not have power over us unless we give it power. You know, so uh, the Course says if anything in this world can hurt you, it's because you gave it the power to do so. And we give it that power with our belief. But as I said earlier, it's possible to take that belief and to put it back where it belongs. And uh, Gary, you know, yeah, go ahead. Could I, could I interrupt for a minute? Sure. Um, so what is your experience like these days when you um, say are exposed to stories about um, child abusers or there's a movie that just came out about all of the uh, childhood sexual abuse that occurred in the Catholic Church and how the how that whole thing was uncovered and um, when you when you hear about or you're exposed to those things that just strike us at a at a visceral level as being a violation of the soul at a very deep level uh, does the cut does the metaphysics of your worldview make a distinction between judgment and discernment or what is your experience like when you are exposed to something like that sure uh that's a great question and um you know i was there in boston at the time when the boston globe was exposing that whole story of the catholic church and uh, yeah, it does strike you at a visceral level. And this is why uh, I always say to people, look, uh, don't forget how to be normal. You know, if you know that uh, the person next door is abusing their children, uh, just because you practice A Course in Miracles and you can forgive the situation, it doesn't mean that you don't call the authorities and let them know about it. Uh, if you know about something that's going on, you can do something about in the dream then do it. Always remember how to be normal. Uh, you know, you don't uh, sit there like if you're out on the street and if you're a woman and some guy starts to attack you, you don't stand there quoting that workbook lesson from A Course in Miracles that says, oh, if I defend myself, I'm attacked. So I'm not going to defend myself because I'm a good Course in Miracles student. Uh, no. What you have to realize is that the forgiveness and the teachings of A Course in Miracles are always applied at the level of the mind. Uh, mind is cause, and the Course teaches this is a Course in cause and not effect. When it comes to the effect, which is the world, then you do the normal thing. So that can be a very loving thing, because the more you undo the ego, the more you're going to be coming from a place of love. And a place of love to me would say, well, yeah, well, of course I want to protect the child. Of course I want to uh, do the good thing, because that's the loving thing to do. And you can get to the point where everything in your life is an expression of love, which is a great place to be coming from. You know, my teacher said to me, they said, Gary, you know, you don't have to go looking for love if that's where you're coming from. You know, so I think that uh, if you're making 
the effort to be guided by the Holy Spirit, which is love. And uh, the more you undo the ego, you are love, which is why the Course says, teach only love, for that is what you are. That experience is brought about naturally by undoing the ego. You don't have to strive to be more loving. You will be more loving if you undo the ego, because that's what you are. And uh, when it comes to those difficult situations where it just looks like, you know, I don't want to forgive that. That's when you have to remember that the ego is very clever. Uh, at one point, the Course says the ego is ingenious. And the ego will come up with a thousand different ways to convince you that you're a body by convincing you that those bodies that you're seeing out there are real bodies. And if they're real, then so are you. And the whole ego thought system of separation is true. On the other hand, it's possible to see uh, what the world would call victims as you know, these uh, spiritual beings that they really are. So now you're thinking of them not as being bodies, not as being victims, but being the eternal spiritual beings that are perfect oneness with God, knowing that if you think about them that way, that is how you are going to think of yourself. So it's true. As you see him, you will see yourself. That's the level of the mind. Then when it comes to the world, while well, you ask for guidance and whatever you do, do it with the Holy Spirit. Because when you act on your own, and then without realizing it, you're actually reinforcing the idea of separation uh, in your mind. But if you're connected, if you're connected to that higher power, then you're actually undoing the idea of separation in your mind. And uh, that guidance by the Holy Spirit may seem very practical. And it may be, yeah, maybe there's something you should do about this. Maybe you should call the authorities. Maybe you should expose something that's going on. Maybe you should try to help these children in a loving way, not as a way of getting somebody, but uh, as a way of, you know, actually being helpful and loving. And uh, actually, I'm looking forward to seeing that movie because you may know my hobby is going to the movies and that movie a, just... It was my favorite movie of the whole year. Yeah, it's called Spotlight, right? Yeah, and it's it was a doubly good for me because I've got a really big crush on Rachel McAdams. Oh, yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't blame you there, but it's like, uh, It was great. It was great. Uh, but I'm, I'm really glad you talked about that. And uh, that kind of segues into another question I have. In terms of your direct experience now of, of human life, what is your experience of relating to what the Course calls the illusion? Like, what's your experience of relating to your body or... Cindy or Cindy's body or food or uh, uh, going to beautiful places like Hawaii and beautiful sunsets. What's your experience, I guess, of what they would call in the Course in Miracles the the happy dream? Well, uh, it's very much like uh, watching a movie. As a matter of fact, uh, at one point, the Course says you are reviewing mentally that which has already gone by. And uh, that means that the movie has already been filmed. Uh, the Course says the script is written. Those who are to meet shall meet. So it's kind of like uh, being an actor in a movie. You know, sometimes uh, the movie is a happy movie and it's a happy dream. Uh, but the happy dream is not dependent on circumstances. And so sometimes the movie is going to show you things that you don't like. And there are going to be things that happen that are from, you know, a dark place. And uh, there's a lot of hatred in the world, a lot of violence. Uh, this is not the happy world. You know, as my uh, old friend uh, Ken Wapnick used to say, nobody in their right mind would come here. Uh, 
because uh, eventually, because of the dualism, that ugliness is going to show up. And when it does, at least you know what it's for. And for me, uh, the experience becomes more and more like watching a movie. And I'm not Gary. I'm just uh, an actor uh, in a movie playing the part of Gary. But that doesn't mean that you have to take it seriously. Now, it doesn't mean you can't play your part either. You know, it's okay to be normal. It's okay to have a good time. It's okay to uh, go to places. Everybody's going to have some kind of a preference uh, while they appear to be here. You know, some people may like to go to Hawaii. Some people may like to go skiing. You know, so, uh, you know, we all have preferences as long as we uh, appear to be here. But as long as we're not hurting anybody, it's no big deal. And uh, it's all for forgiveness. And the more you do it, the more your experience will change. Uh, it's, it's been really surreal for me because uh, before my first book came out, I really never traveled very much. Uh, in my life. Maybe that's why it took me a long time uh, to get a little bit tired of it. I'm starting to get to the point now where I'm not quite as excited about going out all the time. But, uh, you know, especially when you're on a long trip like China, you say, well, let's stay home for a little while. But uh, it's like, you know, it's been totally like a dream because uh, I never expected it to happen. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was standing on the Great Wall of China, and I'm thinking, you know, how did I get here? Is this real? And, of course, the answer is no, <laughs> it's not. But, it, yeah, it seems real, but it's uh, very much like a dream, very much like a movie. And I think that the happy dream doesn't mean that everything always goes good. It means that no matter what happens, you recognize that what you're seeing uh, is your dream. And that it doesn't have to have the upper hand on you, because if you're coming from a place of cause, it can't hurt you. But if you're coming from a place of being at the effect of it, then it can definitely hurt you. So, uh, yeah, it's like when you're in a position where there's nothing to forgive, the Course's idea of that is, well, if there's nothing to forgive, then you should celebrate. And... Uh, one of the things I love about the Course is that it is a happy form of spirituality. That's why it leads to a happy dream, because uh, it talks about being a happy learner. You know, one of the uh, ten characteristics of a teacher of God in the Course is joy. And uh, certainly gratitude uh, is, you know, there's that question in uh, the Manual for Teachers, how should a teacher of God uh, spend his day? His day, it talks about joy, it talks about gratitude, it talks about uh you know, all kinds of uh, things that are fun and are happy. And this is ultimately a happy form of spirituality. And it's not about suffering and it's not about sacrifice. There's a section in the course called the end of sacrifice. And uh, it's not asking you to give up anything on the level of form. What it's asking you to do is to look at it differently. It's asking you to look at it with the Holy Spirit and take on the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the movie uh, instead of the ego's interpretation of the movie. It's almost like you're sitting in a movie theater and you got the ego sitting on one side of you and you got the Holy Spirit sitting on the other side of you. Now, whose interpretation of the movie are you going to listen to? Uh, it's the same movie. You know, the movie didn't change, but your interpretation of it can definitely change. You can definitely switch to the Holy Spirit instead of the ego which is the holy instant, according to the Course. That instant when you stop thinking with the ego and you start thinking your right-minded thoughts with the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Course is all about. And uh, as you do that, your experience will change as well. And it's a better experience. So it's really a win-win situation because you can have your life 
you know, you can have what ultimately you may start to see as your silly dreams and goals and, and uh, desires, because now you're looking at them kind of like from where the course would call above the battleground. You know, it's like you're not stuck in it the way that you used to be. It's like, yeah, you, you know, you, you do this, but uh, you don't have to take it so damn seriously because uh, you recognize, look, it's just very temporary and there's a reality just beyond the veil. And that's what I want. Another thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, based on my opening remarks about how I needed to let the course go for a while until I had developed some ways of dealing with my emotions before I could really go back and have the course be useful for me. How did you deal with your anger and frustration uh, as you were going through the course? Well, I had to realize, and it took a while, uh, to realize that the course is a discipline. And that's really what the workbook is all about. It's to train your mind. It says this is a course in mind training. Uh, it says very specifically, an untrained mind can accomplish nothing. And uh, that's a pretty provocative statement when you think about it, because it's saying that a lot of people are accomplishing basically nothing with their spirituality because the mind is not being trained uh, to think with the Holy Spirit instead of the ego. And uh, that's what the course does. And through that mind training and the fact that you start to realize it's a discipline, then you can watch yourself more effectively. And I'm not just talking about your thoughts. I'm also talking about your feelings because people are actually more likely to act out of their feelings than anything. And they don't realize that those feelings came about as a result of the thoughts that they've been having over a long period of time. So you really have to watch both. And you have to catch yourself when you start to feel that first bit of anger or annoyance. Uh, it can be very subtle. And uh, the ego can be very subtle and very clever. And uh, as soon as you notice yourself thinking with the ego or feeling with the ego, that's when you have to stop yourself, which I believe is the first and most essential step in forgiveness. If you can do that, if you can really stop yourself from thinking with the ego, you can switch immediately to the Holy Spirit, which I would call the second step in forgiveness, that holy instant when you switch. You know, when you switch to the Holy Spirit, take on your right-minded thoughts. And the Holy Spirit has a totally different story about what's going on and saying, look, uh, the reason you're upset is because you're making it real. And if you weren't making it real, you wouldn't be upset. You know, so uh, that's the point where you have to switch to the Holy Spirit and say, look, what I'm saying is not true. I made it up. And uh, there's nobody out there to respond to. At one point, the Course says, every response with the ego is a call to war. And war does deprive you of peace. Yet in this war, there is no opponent. You know, uh, the ego thought system is a delusional system. Uh, the Course describes what we're seeing many times as a hallucination. Now, grant you, that's not the easiest thing for people to accept, which is why I say that the Course is not for everybody. And I don't try to get people to do the Course. They know if they should be doing it or not. But if you're going to do it, you might as well do it. <laughs> and if you are going to do it, you might as well realize what the Course is saying. And what it's saying is, is you can forgive this because it's not happening. And if you do that, if you're willing to do that, and it takes a little willingness at first. And, uh, you know, in the Course, Jesus kind of like pulls a bait and switch on us at one point. Because I noticed early in the Course, he says it takes a little willingness. And it takes a little willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit. Like it says very early, it says all are called, but few choose to listen. So you have to have that willingness to listen. But then in the manual for teachers, at the end, he says it takes abundant willingness. 
So somehow along the way, that little willingness gets replaced by abundant willingness, where you're willing to really do this all the time and forgive, not because it's real, but because it isn't. And then you can get to that third step in forgiveness, which is spiritual sight. I think, you know, what the Course calls vision. And that's where you kind of like overlook what you're seeing. You kind of like think outside of the box and you look just past the veil, if you will, overlook the body and realize that that person that you're having hopefully a normal conversation with uh, really isn't that person, but is actually uh, not just part of it, but all of it. Uh, the Course says that, uh, you know, spirit is not a partial attribute. Spirit is perfect oneness. It's all of it. And if it's true that as you see him, you'll see yourself, then if you can think of that other person as being this perfect spirit, uh, exactly the same as its source, perfect oneness with God, then eventually that is how you will experience yourself. Uh, that's how Jesus got in touch with his divinity, was by seeing it everywhere and in everyone. No exceptions. You can't have an exception or else it's not whole. You know, it's not full. It's not complete. It has to be oneness everywhere. At one point, the Course says, everywhere the Holy Spirit looks, he sees himself. You know, so the Holy Spirit overlooks the body, even though you can still live your normal life. Now you know better. Now you know that that other person, uh, including uh, my beautiful wife, Cindy, uh, at some point, I'm going to remember who she really is and what she really is. And what she really is, is exactly the same as God. And I know that if I think of her that way, that is how I will come to think of myself. And she knows that too. And we can still uh, live a normal life and have a good time and uh, do what we feel guided to do. But once again, we don't have to take it so seriously. We can have a good time. Uh, I remember when I first started to get to know uh, Ken Wabnick, he said, Gary, if you want to be friends, I have one condition. Don't take any of this seriously. <laughs> and uh, and he didn't. He had a great sense of humor. And uh, You know, I think where people get in trouble is they confuse spiritual denial and psychological denial. Yeah. You know, they hear the course, but then they try to apply it in a domain where it backfires and their forgiveness doesn't have any power because it's really a spiritual bypass where they're psychologically avoiding certain feelings and it, it doesn't have the punch because they, it's a confusion of levels. They confuse uh, the wisdom of spiritual denial with the, uh, with the action of psychological denial. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned levels because uh, the course is done at the level of the mind. And when it comes to the level of the world, uh, the course's ideas may not always work. Uh, they can backfire on you. Uh, you know, I mentioned that work with lesson. If I defend myself, I'm attacked. Well, you know, if you're a woman and you're out on the street and somebody starts to attack you, it's not going to do you any good. And it's not going to inspire peace for you or your family for you to be murdered. And it is perfectly appropriate to defend yourself. Uh, you know, out there in the dream. The course is not done in the dream. The course is done in the mind. And they're really apples and oranges. And you have to recognize the difference between cause and effect. And in the effect, yes, you do take care of yourself. And you do take care of your body. And you do use what the course calls magic. You do take your medicine. 
uh, I take vitamin supplements. You, you know, you do what you believe in, uh, in the dream, recognizing that none of it's true. And yet you have preferences and you feel guided to do certain things in the dream while you appear to be here. And I say appear to be here because ultimately you recognize that you're not here. So it's like uh, it works if you simply recognize uh, the difference of levels. And another difference of levels would be that uh, when the Course talks about the truth, the truth of God, uh, God in his kingdom, the Holy Spirit, Christ, things like that. When it talks about the truth, it should be taken literally. But when it talks about everything else, when it talks about the illusion, the world, uh, the seemingly separated suns, all that, that's all metaphor because none of it's true. So it should be taken as metaphor. And if you recognize that, the Course will make sense all the way through. But if you listen to one of the teachers out there who tells people, oh, you, the whole thing is you got to take it literally. You know, there's no metaphor in the Course. Well, that is absurd. And it just causes confusion because if people believe that, then they will think that the Course is contradicting itself. You know, so you have to understand that the truth is the truth. Yes, take that literally. Uh, anything else is metaphor that is designed to get us to the truth, to get us to that experience that God is, and that that is ultimately the only truth, and that nothing else is true. You know, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, because it's something, that an experience that we both shared, is I'm not sure when you did it, but back in 1975, I did the S training. What year, year did you do it? I was uh, 78. Okay. And so from my experience now, I see a lot of parallels between the distinctions that Werner Erhardt was making and the distinctions that Jesus is making in A Course in Miracles. And yet, you know, obviously a very small percentage of people who did the S training went on, you know, to do A Course in Miracles. And yet I see a tremendous amount of parallels and I would be very interested in your take on the impact that the S training had on you and what you see as the similarities and, and any important distinctions between the two uh, teachings. Well, uh, there were a lot of things in the S training that I think were a really good training ground and a really good prerequisite uh, to doing the course. And having traveled a lot, I've met a lot of people uh, who did the S training, ended up doing A Course in Miracles. I would dare say that out of the million people who did the S training, uh, at least 100,000 of them uh, ended up doing A Course in Miracles. And uh, I've talked with S trainers, you know, and it's so funny because to me, back in those days, being new to spirituality, uh, to me, an S trainer was like a god, you know, just like about as high as you could get. And then, you know, there I am, you know, 30 years later talking to them and, and they're talking to me like I'm an equal and, and they in some cases actually came to hear me speak. And uh, it's just like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> it's like, what a crazy dream. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in S. Uh, certainly the idea, what the training would call your space uh, is what uh, the course would call your projection. And uh, the very similar ideas, mind was cause, uh, the course was designed, the, uh, I mean, the S training was designed to get you to that place of cause and not effect where you were responsible for everything in your space. So yes, you're the one who made it up. Uh, you're not a victim in S. And uh, a lot of similar ideas. I thought it was a very good uh, way to, for me to be prepared to do the course. And I don't think I would have gotten the course as well 
as I did, even though I didn't understand the course at first. I think that as I was introduced to the ideas, uh, certainly the background in Avest uh, helped me to grab it and understand it better. And uh, yeah, I think Werner Erhard was a great teacher. Uh, he couldn't have borrowed from the course in any way because uh, he was doing the S training starting in 1974 in uh, San Francisco, and the course did not even become available in mimeographed form until 1975. It wasn't published till 76. So uh, there's no way that Werner could have borrowed anything from the course, and yet he was saying a lot of the same things that the course says, because, uh, you know, the truth can filter through, it can filter through in Buddhism. Uh, even in uh, the New Testament, even though uh, it's mostly made up stories, uh, there is some truth there. You can still see some of what Jesus was saying, and uh, you can still see uh, a lot of truth in Buddhism and, and in other things. If you go to Hinduism, there's the Vedanta, which is non-dualistic. Uh, the truth kind of like can come out, but I've never seen it expressed uh, in such a complete form and uh, go all the way. And if you understand it, it, the course doesn't leave you with any unanswered questions the way that some other things uh, do. So yeah, to me, uh, the course is what got me started on a spiritual path. And I was into it. I'm sorry, I keep saying the course, but S is what uh, you know got me started on a spiritual path. And uh, I was about 27. And uh, a friend of mine practically dragged me to do the S training because he had done it and he was enthusiastic about it. And it was exactly what I needed uh, at the time. The S training doesn't exist anymore. It's been replaced by uh, a couple of other things along the way, which are not as powerful, which are watered down versions of it. But the original S training that was there from about 1974 up until about 89 or so, uh, that was a very powerful thing. And it really was like hitting me over the head with a sledgehammer, making me realize that I was not a victim, that I was the one who was responsible. And you know, there's no power in being a victim. But there's plenty of power in being at cause. And uh, that to me is the most you know, essential similarity between Est and the Course in Miracles is that idea that uh, you did it. You know, so you don't have to waste any more time you know, answering the question, who did it? Uh, it was you. You made up this whole thing. And because you made it up, you can also undo it. But to do that, you have to put your loyalty and your faith where it belongs instead of in the illusion. And that whole idea that this is an illusion was also a, an idea that was featured in Est that I found to be very helpful. So yeah, you definitely had those uh, similarities. And if I ever you know, get to meet Werner Erhard again, I did see him in person maybe five times uh, back in the 70s, got to meet him briefly. If I ever see him again, then I would really like to thank him from a higher place uh, and uh, say, man, uh, you know, you made a tremendous difference in my life and in the lives of hundreds of thousands of, of other people. Uh, by the way, there's a movie out, uh, well, it's been out for a few years, but it's called uh, Transformation. And it's a documentary about S, and it actually shows Werner doing the training uh, back in the 70s. And it also shows uh, new interviews with him. Uh, he's in his 70s now, I believe. And he looks great, very healthy. Uh, you know, and he says some very interesting things. So uh, I think you get that movie at Amazon. It's called Transformation. And I would highly uh, recommend that to anybody who's uh, interested in yes training or, or what it was or what it did or Werner. Uh, you know, I, I would definitely say you should see that. 
Yeah, well, Gary, we're getting toward the end of the time for our interview, so we've got about five minutes left, so I want to turn it back over to you to see if there's anything you want to share in closing and also make sure that people have your contact information if they want to stay connected to you and to your work. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend this hour and a quarter, hour and 20 minutes with me after 10 years. It's been really nice to reconnect and you know you're just one of those people where you know it doesn't matter time you know it doesn't matter if it's been a year or five years or 10 years we're just brothers and we can just pick up the conversation so i really appreciate you taking the time and uh, uh, let me just leave it to you to close us out well uh thank you david for uh, saying all of that and i appreciate being here and uh, if anybody does want to, you know, keep up with uh, my work or where I'm going, there's an appearances page at my website. Uh, they can just go to GaryRenard.com. Uh, I thought of the name for the website myself. It's GaryRenard.com. And uh, it has a lot of information there. And I, they can join my email list. It just says where it says join email. Uh, I send out a, a newsletter. Uh, sometimes it's once or twice a week. Sometimes it's only once or twice a month. So I, I won't be inundating you with emails or anything, but uh, I will keep you up with uh, important developments. And uh, not the least of those will be the fourth book. Uh, the, the first three were definitely a trilogy because they completed the story of those three time periods. The uh, fourth book is a little different, and I think people are going to be surprised by it. And I'll be sending out uh, information about that, but it's still with art in person. They're, they're the teachers uh, in the books. And... Uh, the workshops that uh, I do, most of them I do now with Cindy. Uh, she's uh, very advanced spiritually. She has a master's degree in spiritual psychology from uh, the University of Santa Monica. And, uh, you know, she's smarter than me, but I forgive her. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we do most of the workshops together, although I do some by myself because Cindy doesn't like to travel as much as I do. So sometimes she's... She'll just say ahead of time, you know, months ahead of time, well, I'll, I'm going to go here, but I'm not going to go here because I'm not going to overdo it. And uh, I don't blame her. But uh, the workshops have definitely developed and gotten deeper, just as the experience process uh, becomes deeper. And uh, that's the most important thing. You know, it's not how much you know. It's really more about what you do with what you know. Uh, having just come back from China, the Chinese have a saying, it is, you know, to know and not do is to not yet know. In other words, it doesn't do any good to have a, a bunch of uh, spiritual information in your head if you don't take it and use it, if you don't really apply it to the everyday situations and events and circumstances and relationships and the things you see on television. Uh, if you don't apply it to all of that, then you're not really doing yourself any good. But if you do apply it, if you do the forgiveness work, then you will be advancing light years in your spirituality. So uh, Course in Miracles is not a religion. It's not something you have to believe in, and it doesn't have a lot of rules. But I do think that there's one unwritten rule, and the unwritten rule is you got to do it. You know, and if you don't do it, if you don't actually apply it, then it will just become a theory. But if you actually apply it, it's like the Course says at the beginning of the workbook, it is doing the lessons that will show you that they are true. So you got to do it. So if I can leave you with one thought, it would be that, uh, to actually apply it. And if you apply it, 
you'll be doing yourself a lot of good and you'll actually be making a contribution to the healing of the mind, which is a really great thing. Thank you, Gary. Ladies and gentlemen, again, this is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and you've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And my guest today has been my friend, Gary Renard, author and teacher and lover of life and someone who has made The Course in Miracles much more accessible to many, many, many people. So thank you again, Gary. And with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Hi, friends. Dr. David here again, the Cutting Edge Doc. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Gary Renard. As I'm sure you could tell, he's very spontaneous and very right brain. And so uh, I know he can go on for a while, but usually it all comes together in the end. I was wanting just to correct one factual error. Gary mentioned that Werner Earhart started doing the S training in 1974. Actually, the first S training was done in October of 1971 in San Francisco. So take care and bye for now. for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.